as we go through um, today's message and into Good Friday and, and Easter, um, what I'm doing is kind of a four-part um, series with last week, today, Good Friday, and Easter. And so today what I'm going to talk about is going to build on last week, so if you missed that, you can go find it on our website. And as we, lo- as we kind of move into what today is, today, like I mentioned, is Palm Sunday. And uh, maybe I didn't mention that, but it is, today's Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus, from Bethany, took a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And as he was headed there, the people on the sides of the streets and on the outskirts of the city, and as he went into the city, they grabbed palm branches, ripped them off of trees, and they waved them, they put them on the ground, and they, they were singing. They were singing to him, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And um, maybe you wonder, why would they grab palm branches? Why would they say those words? Um, And uh, it's an amazing picture of what God is up to as he moves into uh, this week before he's gonna be tried, crucified, and raised from the dead. Um, The reason that the people grab palm branches is in Jewish history, something happened 200 years before the time of Christ where a guy named Judas Maccabeus who was a leader of the Jewish people, he actually was riding in and around the city of Jerusalem while the city was um, basically overtaken and dominated by the nation or the, the, the great world power at the time, Syria. And when he started to move into the city, the people grabbed palm branches and they sang to him and they said, please save us, save us, save us. And actually, those words, save us, come from Psalm 118, which is the number one quoted psalm in the New Testament. And 200 years before the time of Christ, when Judas Maccabeus went into the city, they waved these palm branches, and actually, he, uh, he goes into the city, he defeats the powers, he takes back the temple, and the nation of Israel then has 100 years of freedom until the nation of Rome comes in and defeats them and takes over power in the nation of Israel. And so what's happening by the time Jesus gets there, there is you have 100 years of oppression from the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, and Jesus has just, if you read the scriptures you see in, in the book of John, he has just um, raised Lazarus from the dead. And so after three years of ministry and doing miracles, feeding people, proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom of God, inviting people to follow him and the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of Rome, now what we have is he gets on a donkey and he moves into the city and the people see him and they are actually asking him to do what Judas Maccabeus did 200 years before. They're going, will you save us? Will you please go into the city and will you save us from the tyranny and the oppression of the Roman government? Please go in and dominate them. Please destroy them. Please be our king. You healed that man, you did those miracles, Will you save us, Hosanna, save us now? And the irony of Hosanna is that in the root of Hosanna is the the Jewish word for the Hebrew word for uh, salvation, which is 
the word that is used for Jesus' name. And so basically, while Jesus is going into Jerusalem, they're like, Jesus us, Jesus us, do your Jesus thing. And ultimately, Jesus becomes the answer to his own song for salvation. And so he goes into the city. And the ironic part about Jesus being asked to save the city by these people is they're looking to him for leadership. They're looking to him for literal earthly kingdom. They're looking to him for mercy and grace and, and help and deliverance and all of these things that they need him to do because of the wicked empire of Rome. They're looking to him and they're, they're singing. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's almost like saying, you're God, so save us. You're God, so save us. You're God, so save us. Well, within less than a week, some of those same people that are waving palm branches, that are singing, your God so save us, do your Jesus thing, salvation us, save us from the tyranny and the oppression of Rome, those, some of those same people within less than a week are gonna be the same people that when Jesus is tried before Rome and he's sentenced to be crucified or in his trial, they scream out of their same mouths uh, that they said, Hosanna, they are gonna be screaming out, crucify him, crucify him crucify him. And there's actually different movies throughout history that have depicted this idea of some of these people asking for salvation, then putting the Savior on the cross, then actually saying, go ahead and, and destroy this man in front of us. Um, almost as if to say, if he's not going to do what we wanted him to do the way he wanted um, us, the way we wanted him to do it, then, then enough of him. We don't want him. Other people have said they're going to help us, and they didn't. So crucify this one as well. And the, the picture that we have here is that you have these people that, that turned on God in that quick of a time, they went from, from saying save us and almost worshiping him to declaring him to be worthless and worthy of the most gruesome death of, of all time, death on a Roman cross. And so it's an interesting, very, very interesting picture. And the, the beauty of Jesus' life is that when he went into Jerusalem, he's not just there to save us from the oppression of governments and from oppression and literal slavery, which he wants to do and does through his people, but ultimately, the reason that they're saying crucify him is because of a darker, more uh, pervasive problem of the human condition, sin and death and darkness. And so Jesus does actually save them from the thing that makes them put him on the cross, their sin and their death and their brokenness, and he goes to the cross and does that, and he, he, he solves a much bigger problem than just the problem of oppressive uh, leadership and empires. He solves the problem of the human heart and the human condition, brokenness and ultimate death. And so it's an amazing picture and there's so much to it. And so I want you to stay with me through these next three talks because I'm gonna be stringing some of this together along with last week as I talk about what this all means in terms of who we are and what Jesus has done for us through this season. And uh, right now, a lot of us are sitting at home a lot. <laughs> uh, if we have essential jobs, we go out, but even then we're working from home. And I think I can safely assume that so many of us are binging on Netflix and on movies. Um, I saw someone tweet the other day, well, I just finished Netflix, 
what's next. I know that a lot of people are, are engaging at a whole other level with content. And for me, I'm a movie guy, I love movies. I always watch uh, a lot of movies, grew up loving movies. And so for me, I, I'm like so thankful for movies right now because with all the news and all the press conferences and all the depressing stuff, it's nice to kind of escape into movies and, and experience some, some of those different things and emotions and, and, and to kind of get lost into the narrative of a movie. And uh, recently I've, I've uh, taken some of my favorite movies and I've started to show them to um, our oldest son, Kellen. And so uh, no judgment. We're, it's, 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 it's coronavirus, it's quarantine, but yes, I have started to show Kellen the James Bond movies. Uh, we have started to look at the James Bond movies, all the Daniel Craig ones, and we've watched two out of three, and he already is in love with the Mission Impossible movies. So what we have is we have these two amazing spy characters, James Bond and Ethan Hunt, and I love those movies. I love watching someone who is trained to be this professional savior spy with all these special skills, do all of this crazy stuff and risk their life and do these impossible missions, and I love James Bond, I love Ethan Hunt, and I've been, I've been enjoying watching some of those during this time when, when there's not a whole lot else to do. One of the things about those movies, a theme that I have uh, recognized recently is there's this idea of when those guys are believed by their home countries to have turned their back, um, you might call it treason, or they call it becoming a double agent. In Mission Impossible, when Ethan Hunt um, is believed to have turned his back on MI6, they say he's gone off the reservation or he's gone rogue. And uh, there's, there's this idea of, of James Bond uh, becoming part of the bad, uh, the bad agents of darkness in the world and his leadership is, is kind of in this argument and they're talking about how he would never do that. Like he would never go off the reservation. And, and there's something about when we're watching movies and we watch people who are heroes, who represent goodness, that we think when other people are looking at them going, I think he's off the reservation. I think he's committing treason. I think he is, is a double agent. I think he's working for the Russians or the bad guys or whoever they are, this silent, dark you know, power, whatever they are. There's something in me and I think something in all of us and when we watch our heroes and they're believed to turn their backs on their home country, we go, no, 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 they would never do that. They would never do that. They would never actually turn away. They would never actually become a double agent. There's no way that they could be sucked in, and we just believe, like, even if their own, there's times in these movies when their own teams come after them because they think they've gone off the reservation, but they're doing it because they have to, to save the day. And you, you just, you, you know the whole time you're like, there's no way that they actually um, turned their back on their home country. There's no way that they're a double agent. And I sit there and you watch those and there's one time in one of the, the Mission Impossible movies where you're like, I think he did. And you're like, you're heartbroken that Ethan Hunt actually goes off the reservation and is a double agent. Um, the James Bond movies, the whole, like all of Daniel Craig's movies live with this backdrop that his girlfriend in the first movie, Vespa, that 
she um, grabbed a hold of his heart at such a intense level, and he, he usually doesn't get that way from a heart level, if you know James Bond, he, he, he doesn't do that. He, go, he, he, he just usually keeps himself emotionally at a distance, but he actually falls in love with this woman, and it breaks his heart at the end of the movie that she is a double agent and she's working for the bad guys. And he's so betrayed that the whole, uh, every, all the other movies have that as a backdrop that he's like trying to figure out what bad force or agency drew her away from the good team to the bad team. And ultimately, this idea of treason, of joining evil forces, it is, it's a major theme in the human experience. And there are times when people join evil forces, they think it's the best thing to do. They think it, 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 it's better for them, they think that they're gonna win more, and they do it. But um, what I wanna just kind of segue to is when we think about treason, or we think about joining the other team, or joining the bad guys, there is a theme in that that actually resonates with the human experience. And it is that when we, as I talked about last week, I talked about how when we love the world, when we love the world, and, and I defined love as not, not saying that we, uh, we enjoy things that are good, but, but loving the world is this idea of putting things in the world, power, money, whatever it is, sex, and we put it in its inappropriate place and we elevate it above God and we follow it. And then when we follow it, ultimately it ruins our lives. It, 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 if it runs us, it ruins us. But loving the world, in fact, is not just something that will ruin your life. It's not just something that, you know, John says, don't love the world because of all these things, it's the boastful pride of life, like it's passing away. I talked about last week, don't love the world because all the stuff that you fall in love with, it's never gonna love you back, it's gonna pass away. But there's another theme in loving the world and the things of this world, and it has to do with treason. You see, actually the human condition is where we chose and choose all the time to turn our back on the kingdom of God and follow, at times, the kingdom of darkness. And so in a way, loving the world is treason and it's actually the reason for death. So loving the world and worshiping things that we're not supposed to worship, money, sex, power, ourselves, um, a person, whatever it is, things, material possessions, when we love those things, it's not just that those things don't love us back, it's that actually our hearts when we do that, we've transferred our allegiance from God to things that are not God's and we've aligned ourselves with those evil powers and when we do that, we get ourselves in trouble. And so what I wanna unpack for us for a couple minutes is this idea that God's original design was for us to be part of his kingdom, that that's our country, that's our team, and he wanted us to be his agents, if you will, in the world, bringing the goodness of God into the world that, that we all know. He wanted us to represent him, and he gave us a job to go and represent him. He gave us a job to go and be like him on earth, create things, bring goodness into the world, take chaos and make it into cosmos, make beautiful things. That was actually God's vocation for us, but, 
because of evil desires, because of the power of these other things, these dark things that aren't supposed to be gods, they're good things sometimes, but they're bad gods, we actually turned over our allegiance to these evil powers, things that aren't supposed to be God, and because of that, that is one of the main reasons that the human condition is in so much trouble, because of treason. We've aligned ourselves with the bad team. So I want you to open up for a second to just get the, the whole scope of this in Genesis chapter one. I'm gonna be reading just a couple of verses, um, verses 27 through 29. Um, verses 27 through 29, and I want you to open up your Bibles, and I want you to circle a couple things in your Bibles, because these are key passages that kind of set up this idea of humans, not just doing bad things. I'm gonna talk more about that on Good Friday and on Easter, not just doing bad things, but actually being a part of a system that is not supposed to be the system you represent. It's not what God had intended for you. He had something else for you, and when you join something else, you're committing spiritual treason. So in verse uh, 27, it says this, and you can read it on the screen. So God created man, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. To look like him, to reflect his goodness into the world. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So I don't just want it to be you guys, I want more of you who are reflections of me so that you can, as a people, bring my goodness into the whole world. Fill the earth and subdue it, basically lord over it, control it, um, put it in your hands and form it into what you want. That's what subdue means, to take it under control. So he, he is giving the, the man and the woman, a, a vocation, a job, a duty in the world to actually take the world and rule it. Look at the next word, it says rule. I want you to underline that word in your Bible. I want you to underline it or, or highlight it in your phone, whatever you're looking at. Rule, he says, over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I find this part, next part fascinating. Then God said, and I want you to underline this part, I give you, I give you as the rulers of the earth, as my representatives on earth, as you're gonna subdue and control this earth and, and use it to benefit your life, I give you every seed-bearing plant. The first thing that God gives the, the man and the woman on earth is every seed-bearing plant, all the fruit, all the trees, all of the, all of the vegetation on the earth. This is, this is yours. This is yours, and you are in control of it. On the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So he says to them, this is for you to eat. This is for you to, to control, and all of the earth, and the part that happens that a lot of us know is they, they get this, this vocation, they become these rulers, these agents, these um, representatives of God on earth, and then in Genesis chapter three, a serpent shows up. Now this is before they've done anything wrong. So what happens in the story here is an evil power shows up in the midst of humans' rulership of earth. An evil power shows up, 
and comes to them and starts to have a conversation with them about the one thing that God told them they're not allowed to do, and he twists it and turns it into something that is desirable, and they choose to worship the, the, the idea of the fruit and what the fruit can give them instead of continuing to rule over the fruit and vegetation that's all in the world. This is what happens if you read in Genesis 3, verse four and six. Basically, they're having a conversation with an evil power, and they say to that evil power, if we, if we touch that fruit, if we eat that fruit, we will die, and this is what the evil power says to them. It says, you will not certainly die. That's a lie. So this serpent is trying to persuade them to jump into the wrong situation. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows, listen, listen to the desire, listen to the cell of the serpent. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, underline this part, like God. You will be like God, knowing not just good, that's the picture here, you will know all things. You will be all knowledgeable, you will have power, and you will now rule like God rules. But what's happening here is they're actually, by taking the fruit and believing that the fruit gives them the powers to overcome uh, the power of God or the knowledge of God, they are taking the good thing or something that God made, and they're elevating it. They're being drawn in by their desires to be like God into an evil part of the human experience to worship something they're not supposed to worship, themselves and the things on this earth that they're supposed to rule over. And so the next part connects directly to what I talked about last week in 1 John, when he says, do not love the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, that passage in 1 John comes from what happens right here. This is what happens when the woman sees that she has an opportunity to rule like God, and she thinks that she is getting what she wants. They think they're getting what they want, but actually what they're doing is they're removing God from the throne in their hearts, and they're putting themselves in the throne of the heart. They're putting things on this earth up in the place. They're supposed to rule over fruits and seeds. God gave them power over everything on the earth and now they're elevating it going, ooh, if it makes us like God, we should worship it. Oh, if it makes us like God and it gives us everything we want, then we should elevate it. So what's happening here is a transfer of power from worshiping God who gave us everything that we could ever want to taking everything that we could ever want and raising it above God because the desire, the draw for that kind of power was irresistible. And this is not just a story of something that happened. This is a story of what happens to all humans when they are drawn away by the evil powers and their desires are manipulated and they choose good things to become gods. Look at this verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
the two of them make the decision in this moment to elevate their desires to be like God above worshiping God, to elevate the thing that God gave them to rule, the thing that was good, to elevate it up to become a God. And this is what happens when we pick the things of this world we are actually committing spiritual treason. Those dark powers, those things that were not made to be worshiped, those are things that the enemy tries to draw us into. And when we do worship those things, what's happening is we're vacating our vocation and we are aligning with foreign and evil powers. We are aligning with the enemy. The enemy comes along and says, oh, what God said isn't true. You should take this fruit, you should worship this fruit, you should worship yourself, God doesn't know, and you should put yourself on the same level as him. And ultimately, we buy into that lie and it starts to ruin our lives. It starts to destroy us. And it's not just that we vacate our powers and we align with foreign evil things. We're aligning with this, this, this thing that's not supposed to be God, but what happens in that process is those things, they put us in bondage. They actually put us in like a sense of spiritual slavery. So we start to basically give all of our life to these things that we were never supposed to give our life to. We start to give all of our life to money. We start to give all of our life to power, and instead of being a worshiper of God, now we're worshiping power, we're worshiping knowledge, we're worshiping material possessions, and we think that we're ruling it. We think that it's giving us power, but actually it's stealing our power, it's putting us in shackles, and we have now aligned with a foreign power, we've committed treason, and that thing has put us in spiritual slavery, and we can't get out. The more that we throw a log on the fire of the things of this world, the hotter that fire gets, and the more consuming it does of our lives. You worship the wrong things, and those things make everything go wrong. That's what happens in this picture. Uh, back to superheroes, or like Ethan Hunt and, and Daniel Craig, a good picture of being drawn in and aligned with foreign powers and also being in bondage is The Winter Soldier. If you don't know the Marvel movies, shame on you. You need to watch them all the way from the very beginning. It's one of the greatest cinematic um, uh, productions that's ever been made. And The Winter Soldier was a US soldier who got sucked into Hydra, the evil power, and then he gets brainwashed and he just continues to go on and do things for the bad team. And when Captain America finds him, he's shocked. How are you this way? How are you like serving? How are you committing treason against your country? The reason is, is because he got manipulated. He got sucked into an evil power and it's brainwashed him and he's in slavery. This is what happens when we worship false gods. And ultimately, it's very hard to wrap our, our brains around this. A great picture of this in the scriptures is the person Matthew, so hang with me. Matthew, one of the authors of the New Testament, he tells us a story about how he actually became a follower of Jesus. And in the story, we see that he was a tax collector. 
He was a tax collector, and a tax collector had done exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They've aligned themselves with the foreign evil power of Rome because they're collecting taxes for Rome, and they're basically living off of everyone else's um, depravity, and they are taking more and skimming off the top, and they're hated, but they're aligned with Rome, and they are also in love with money. So they are serving the things that they're not supposed to serve. They've aligned with the foreign power, and that's what Matthew is doing in this, this story. So Jesus comes along, and he says to him, in, in Matthew, he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Go ahead and follow me. Leave serving money, Matthew. Leave serving Rome, Matthew. I have come to set you free from the bondage of following Rome. I have come to set you free from the desire to serve money because it will ruin your life and I am God and I am the king and I want you to leave that and I want you to follow me. So you can read that real quick in Matthew. It says, and Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. That's Matthew 9, 9. This is what happens when Jesus moves into the world. He moves into the world and he says to you and me, whatever you've aligned yourself with, follow me. Whatever you are for, don't be for that, be for me. If you are for material possessions, that is gonna ruin your life. You've aligned yourself with the enemy. You've committed treason. And ultimately, when we commit treason, we align with the enemy, and the enemy needs defeated. The enemy, the leader of that power, needs defeated. And so what happens is, is that's what moves us into Jesus' time on the cross. You see, Treason is this powerful thing that we've all got sucked into, and so Jesus shows up not just to wipe away your sins, the thing that you have done, he shows up to defeat the enemy, the powers of darkness. He wants to take away the evil. He wants to take away the draw. He came to this world, and we're gonna celebrate it very closely on Good Friday, to actually show up and defeat these evil things that we all get sucked into following. Listen, we think about how the scriptures teach us. If you turn your heart over to these things, this fruit, you worship the wrong thing. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But it's not just the penalty for doing sinful things. The actual bigger picture is that it's the result. When you worship money, when you worship power, when you align with the spiritual forces of darkness in this world, you will die. They don't know how to love you. They don't know how to lead you. They don't know how to, to be what they're supposed to be in your life. And so, you guys, what I am so excited is for us to, to, just, to just snap out of it. The result of sin is death. And so here's the picture. Jesus goes to the cross and dies, and on that cross, he defeats the powers of darkness. He defeats the lie. He defeats the, the thing that moves us into treason. He defeats all these things that we do, the little things we do that are sin, our, our vocation that we have left, that we've stopped being God's royal priesthood and being his representatives on earth. He goes to a cross and he defeats all of that by dying and then raising from the dead. That means that the powerful things that we align with in this world, that God has actually beat them. 
that we may experience a level of brokenness, but when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, those who know and follow and have made their hearts uh, align with who Jesus is, we get total victory, total and utter victory. We get to live a life without the oppression of the darkness and powers. We get to live a life where we're not drawn into sinful behaviors. We get to live a life where that's all gone away. You know, sometimes people wonder, like, if Jesus defeated all the powers of darkness on the cross, why is there still darkness in the world? And I don't know all the the answer to that, but one thing to think about is this. Jesus communicated to you and me that he loves us and that he defeated these powers in a human body on earth with all of us here so we could experience that. Now, if right when he died on the cross, everything changed, we wouldn't appreciate the reality that God is a man there in Jesus and that he experienced a very sacrificial, painful death, which was the result of us aligning with the foreign power, and we wouldn't get to step back and go, man, he did that for me in a world where there's still brokenness and we get to choose. So ultimately, he's on this cross and he raises from a tomb and he says to you, now, I've defeated all those dark powers. I did it by dying for you. So, you get to choose. You get to choose who you're gonna align with. Who are you gonna align with? You're gonna align with the God who loves you. You're gonna align with a God who died for you. You're gonna align with a God that took the result of you aligning, of you being a treasonous human. I took the pain, I took the death. Who are you going to serve now? And we get to choose to serve a God who loves us enough to pay the penalty to experience the results of treason or just continue to be like drawn into these evil dark powers. Good Friday is gonna be amazing because we get to understand at a more uh, real and daily level that we have a God who has defeated the powerful forces of darkness in the world that we live in. You need to take a moment as we're gonna go in to sing a song about Palm Sunday and about what that means for now and what it means for all time. But I want you to take a moment right now as I'm talking about aligning, as I'm talking about how loving the world is treason and it's the reason for death. I want you to be honest. What do you align yourself with other than God? What do you align yourself with other than God? You and me are supposed to make our total loyalty towards God, towards Jesus. But we get sucked in to aligning with other things. And one way to investigate this, one way to start to go, what am I aligning with? What, what, do, I, what do I worship? What, do I, uh, what have I got drawn into other than worshiping God? is to start to evaluate your motives, your motives. You see, your motives and what actually drives you and why you do what you do, the heart behind why you do what you do will be what you worship. So maybe when you look at what you do every day, the work that you do, you know, maybe you work in in the finance industry 
And your motives, if you're honest, if you go deep inside and go, why am I doing this, is to, to make more money and to serve yourself and to build a kingdom of your own. Maybe um, you work as a teacher and your motive is some other reason than, than really doing what God wants you to do. Maybe it's, it's, it's kind of broken or twisted or you're doing it because of insecurity or you're doing it because you know, your parents were teachers and, and that's not all bad, but you see, the scriptures say that a man's ways seem right in their own eyes, but God knows the motive. And so when we wanna really figure out what we're aligning with, we need to take some time to go, what motivates me? And what Jesus wants for all of us is for us to be motivated with everything that we do to worship and show respect and praise and adoration to God with everything that we do. What is the motive? Why am I speaking this way? Why am I going to this job? Why am I loving my children? Why am I, what is really going on? So as you start to sift through your motives, then you'll understand what you're aligned with. And ultimately, in 1 Peter, the, the picture of Jesus giving an opportunity for all the world to be his chosen people, not just Israel, is talked about. And in 1 Peter, it says this in chapter two, verse nine, it says this, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He's talking to all that follow Jesus. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of what? Out of darkness? into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now, because of Jesus, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus has defeated the powers of darkness and he has invited you and me into his light. And we are called to be the light. We are called to reflect who he is into all of the world. One of the beautiful pieces about that scripture is that the author is connecting some of the language to the creation story in Genesis chapter one, saying that we were called out of darkness into light is the same language that is used for when God created the light out of darkness. There was darkness, there was chaos in the world, and God spoke, and there was light. And in the same way, the darkness and the chaos, the evil powers in the world, they exist. And God, through mercy on the cross, defeated those powers, and he says, you, my church, I have mercifully lifted you out of those powerful bondage uh, situations that you're in, those, those powers that you're worshiping, I have given you me and you can be projectors of my light again. You can be my chosen people. You are my royal priesthood. You are the rulers. Go and reflect the light of God into the world. Please be my representatives. So as Kevin leads us through a song called Hosanna, which again is what the people were actually yelling out, singing out to Jesus as he wrote in. I want you to get this, this fuller picture. 
There's darkness in the city and we want out of that darkness. And Jesus says, I'm going to take the darkness away. I'm going to reestablish you as my rulers. I'm going to establish you as my royal priesthood and I'm going to go ahead and defeat the powers of darkness on this cross and I'm going to set you up just because I love you through mercy to be my people. And as that Hosanna cry was answered by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I believe that today we can take Hosanna and we can apply it to the world that we're living in right now. We know that God has defeated death. We know that ultimately all of us who follow him will be resurrected in our, our bodies and experience eternal life made new. But right now, there's this, this constant, continued darkness that the church exists to, to bring light in the midst of. And we can go to the God who loves us, and we can say, God, Hosanna. Hosanna, God. Would you, would you save us from coronavirus? You know, I think that as children, that it delights the Father when we go to him and ask him for absurd, big things. I love it when my kids come to me and ask for, for crazy things. One of my kids came to me one time and said, can I have my own car? And everything about that made me happy because I was just like, oh, the fact that you think you can ask me that makes me happy that you, you would think that I could just go do that for you. I believe that God wants his children to fully depend upon him and ask him for big things. And I believe that he wants us to ask him to bring a miracle. I don't know how he could do it. I don't know how he could, could slow this pandemic down. I don't know how, but I believe that um, it's within our best interest as the children of God to go to the God that defeated the ultimate powers of darkness and to go with this darkness and say, God, would you defeat this? Would you save us now, Jesus? Please save us. So as we, as we sing these these words together. You, you may not know this song in the verse parts, but I want to encourage you to sing the chorus, just Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It's directly from Psalm 118. And the picture in Psalm 118 among uh, different narratives is, is it's a picture of like all these bees. There's tons of bees and they're all around and they're, they're attacking and, and, they're, and they're causing pain and, and, and fear. And these bees are, are moving all around and then God comes along and just swipes away all the bees. Say, God save us. And he just, he just swipes them away, he just moves them out and he just delivers us and he just gives us freedom. And I just wanna pray and, and ask you to join me as Kevin sings this song to pray Hosanna. God, wipe away this virus Wipe away this darkness in this world. Save us, God. Do something big. Ask God. I think it's within our best interest to just surrender our hearts to him and at least bring our cares to him because we know he cares. And in that process, he's gonna do something. And he might, in the name of Jesus, answer our prayer the way we want. But we know that he listens. We know that he cares. And we can go to him and we can say, God, we need you. So as we sing this song, I want you to be thinking, God, we need you. Kevin's gonna lead us now. I see the King of glory coming on 
saving us. God, thank you for saving us and for answering our prayer. Father, right now I lift up all the brokenness in the world right now, the, the doctors and the nurses that are uh, working tirelessly. 
the sick who are on ventilators right now, those that have lost loved ones. God, all the, the brokenness in, in the way that our world functions economically. Father, I, I just, I come to you and I say, Hosanna, I say, save us. And I'm so grateful knowing that you defeated the powers of darkness, God. And there's such a great need for more. There's so much brokenness in the world. And I'm so grateful that one day that all of this pain and suffering will go away. And as your people right now, we are the ones who have been drawn into your light to be your light. We are the light, God, because you made us that way, because of mercy, because of your cross, because of your resurrection. And so, Father, help us to, to be your agents, to, to not align with the evil powers of this world. Help us to not be drawn away into the things that are good, but they're not God. Help us to align our hearts with you fully in every single day. God, use this time of, of slowing down and pausing and at home to, to reset our priorities in terms of what we align with and who we align with. We love you, we thank you, we look forward to worshiping you, to, to taking more time to look at the cross and to marvel at the resurrection throughout the coming uh, days. We love you, we worship you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining, guys. We will see you on Good Friday.